Before we start, just a quick reminder that you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. In reading The Fix, you'll learn how gender inequality works, what the 17 most common barriers are that all women face, and how gender inequality creates challenges to men's fulfillment of work. Most importantly, you'll learn what we can do to remove these obstacles and how we can begin to make workplaces work for everyone. So get your copy today and let me know what you think by leaving a review on Amazon. I'd actually like to address white people in general. Just take a moment and take a perspective and consciously count how many times you think about your race before you do some activity. The answer to that question is likely going to be zero or a very, very small number. The answer if you are a person of color is constantly. And so have some empathy for an experience that you do not have to deal with every single day. And if all you do is become more aware that you don't have to be aware, the world will take a huge leap forward. I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. The economic manifestations of systemic racism in the United States are under increased scrutiny following public outcry about police brutality and systemic racism, which led to the deaths of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and Ahmed Aubrey. Venture capital firms are joining the chorus of organizations who are renewing their commitment to taking action to improve the lack of diverse representation in their industry. But the sudden rush to be more diverse and inclusive seems disingenuous given the weight of evidence that shows inaction in the face of historic inequality in the venture capital industry. In order to break down systemic barriers that exist, it's important to understand the core challenges that ultimately set the stage for why black founders receive 1% of venture capital. On today's episode, Dave Jakubowski, co-founder of Eureka, an online community that connects underrepresented business owners with peers, mentors, coaches, and vetted resources to access capital, will outline the systemic barriers facing black business owners and the role of white males in removing these obstacles. As a Silicon Valley expert, Dave has witnessed the unconscious biases that create numerous barriers to black business owners accessing funding. Black entrepreneurs experience a higher chance of loan rejection and a lower acceptance into business accelerators. However, funding issues for black entrepreneurs stems beyond just access to capital. There is a fundamental need to create systemic change to provide an equal playing field for white and black entrepreneurs. Here, Dave shares his journey into tackling these barriers. 
I started to work with small businesses to figure out who was being successful and why. And through that journey, I met my now co-founder, Melissa Bradley. We met at a pitch competition and we were both judging it. I was fortunate enough to be sat next to her and we were observing the preliminary rounds prior to doing the finalist judging that was our responsibility. And we were watching the companies come through and just kind of chatting about the companies and what we liked about them and didn't like about them. And I would say to her from time to time, you know, like, how come they're not doing this? Or how come they're not doing that? And she looked at me at one point and she said, listen, white boy of privilege, you've been in your Silicon Valley bubble for way too long. People don't know the answer to that question. People don't even know that that's a problem that exists, much less that it's solvable, much less who to call to get the answer. She's like, these people are running their businesses. They're making purses. They're selling their hair care. They're finding that niche of allergen-free cookies because it's a problem that their kid had. They're making hair care products for women of color because it's an unaddressed market by mainstream corporations who make products for white people. And she was right. Like I was in my Silicon Valley bubble doing my geek thing and not really paying attention to the fact that I had access to this knowledge into these people so that even if I didn't know about it, I knew somebody to call who worked in that, who had the expertise in it, and who would give me a half an hour or an hour and get me on the right track for a plan. And that, just that alone, means every business that I would work on would have an advantage over the other 98% of the companies in the country. And that really struck me as wrong. Where we come from dictates our personal network and how we interact with it. The problem is, like attracts like. Most of our networks probably look, think, and act like us, unless we're paying attention to developing a diverse range of contacts. Entrepreneurs from underrepresented groups are much less likely to have access to individuals in positions of power because these roles have typically been dominated by white middle to upper class men. Here, Dave shares the importance of network access. When you remove these access barriers that immigrants, people of colors, their ideas are in many times outperform that of any comparative sector. And so it's not because the ideas are any better or any worse. It's not because the people work any less hard or harder. It's simply an access problem that if you solve it, we can have a dramatic impact on job creation. And this company needs living wage job creation more than just about anything else I can think of. If you don't have access, your chances of success are almost zero, right? It's a huge issue. So that's where it starts. In capital in particular. So there's two real keys for businesses to succeed. Access to capital and the ability to grow customers. You can really do a lot in solving the access to the best practice of growing customers because most of those things are digital. So if you can get the access to that, you can really quickly level the playing field on the ability to grow customers. If you can begin to grow customers, you can start to have a business that looks financeable on paper. 
But I found something even more disturbing when we began to get to the access to capital portion. Melissa assigned me three companies that she knew were very, very good companies. They were all women of color. My job was to connect them to the right people in finance. And so I did. I began to introduce them around to people that I know. I worked with them on their pitches. I worked with them on their PowerPoints. They are all in segments that the folks that I introduced them to are invested in. They all have competitors run by white men or Asian men who had successfully raised money and had businesses. in All of the companies that I had had the same or better technology and traction than somebody else who had gotten funding. And so I thought, this is going to be easy. Sure enough, I set them up with the meetings. They come back and they're all in three different technology sectors. And they all came back with virtually the same set of answers. I would love to do this investment, except we're looking for somebody else to lead. If you can put together a lead investor, we'll follow that up. Closing the funding gap starts with engaging white male allies who have the power and privilege needed to remove the systemic barriers black entrepreneurs face. Often though, white men may be unaware of what allyship is and how they can take action. Here Dave shares what allyship looks like in practice. I've been doing this a long time. I've raised quite a bit of money. I've gotten plenty of yeses and I've gotten plenty of noes. I've gotten lots of noes in my time in financing. I've gotten very little people who have looked me in the eyes and said, I don't know you. I don't necessarily trust you. So if you can get somebody else that I know to believe in you, then I might believe in you. I've never been told that. And that's effectively what these women got. I know some of the places that they went to go pitch. I know some of the people who got money who didn't look like them. And I knew exactly what was going on. I even called some of them to call bullshit on it, pardon my French. And increasingly what I found out is that was my role as an ally, is to spot the problem, example it for the folks who were doing it unintentionally. None of these people wake up in the morning and say, I'm a racist. None of these people wake up in the morning and say, I have bias. In fact, every single person that I introduce them to has an initiative to do more impact investing, to do more diversified investments. Every single one of them. It's a wonderful slide to have on a PowerPoint. But go look at the numbers of how much money is actually flowing through to these people of color and to these women. And the short answer is, it's not. It's embarrassing. And I'm in a position where I have had success in these things. I know who gets the money and who doesn't. And I can look at two apples and say, why are you choosing one every time over another one? This is not a hard pattern. I've been in data my entire career. This one sticks out like a sore thumb, and it's systemic bias. It's a failure to recognize in somebody else the characteristics that got me where I am as an investor in somebody else. And my job here is to point it out, call bullshit on it. And what I find is, is that a lot of them are willing to take a look in the mirror and some of them are not. And so over time, what I've done is I've begun to build a network of people who actually do put their money to work and actually do want to help cause change. And so I steer my deal flow in that direction and stand up in every forum that I can get just like this 
to drive the awareness of it. And I have to always start with myself. The key to allyship is to start with yourself, as Dave says. That means getting in touch with your privilege and understanding how this creates barriers to underrepresented groups' advancement, and importantly, what you can do to remove these barriers. That's what makes this work deeply personal. Here Dave shares his journey. When George Floyd was murdered, I didn't say a lot on social media. I didn't say a lot on you know, very public places. What I did is I dug deeper into my work and I just began to do more of it. And that's my natural state. I'm much more of a person who will take action than take words. And a good friend of mine sat me down and we had some business to do. And she said to me, you know, you've been pretty quiet about all the Black Lives Matter stuff. And she said, why is that? And I said, well, you know, you know the work I do. I'd much rather put my energy into the work. And she said, I need you to be more vocal. Every time my husband leaves the house and she has kids, every time my kids leave the house, there's a little part of me that is worried about whether or not they'll come home. She's not the only person who has said that to me. I have lots of friends who who have these experiences. And she said, because of who you are, you can begin to be more vocal about it. And we kind of need other people, especially white men, to see that it's not scary to stand up and say that you don't believe in these things, that you support Black Lives Matter, and that you understand that we've kind of institutionalized bias, and it's become part of the fabric of society, and that you don't agree with it, and that it's okay to be vocal against it. Other people need to see you do it in order to feel comfortable. And she was right. I'm still not comfortable in doing it. I know that there's people out there who disagree with what I say. And it's because of all those things that it's more and more important that I do stand up and say it. It's the same pattern with investing. Investors invest in the patterns that they see and are comfortable with. They don't have experience with people of color and with women in investing. Therefore, they don't do it. That doesn't make it right. So what we have to do is celebrate the successes more. And as a white man, I have to stand up and say it louder so that the pattern recognition begins to become the opposite. That, hey, there's lots of very successful corporate people who don't believe that being silent is okay, that don't believe that what is happening to people in the world is okay. And as that pattern emerges and emerges, our children are watching everything that we're doing. We'll begin to build a world where these things just aren't acceptable. And that's when they'll begin to go away. I have bias. I've grown up in this system. I would be a liar if I told you that there was never a time in my life where I didn't walk down the street and quickly do the math in my head. And if somebody was walking towards me, check to make sure, you know, that I was in a secure place or that I had an exit plan. I'd be lying if I said that I probably didn't do that based on the color of somebody's skin. Because that's just the bias that's in all of society. But I recognize how wrong that is. And so I choose to say that I must have it built in me. And so I must be hyper aware of it. And I must do things to combat it. And I must do things 
to make other people comfortable so that the next generation of people begin to lose that level of societally influenced feelings and thoughts. And to say that I don't have it is ignorant and dumb, but I can choose what I do about it. An ally is any person that actively promotes and aspires to advance a culture of inclusion through intentional, positive, and conscious efforts that benefit people as a whole. Anyone can be an ally. The trick is to recognize that allyship is about creating a work environment that not only benefits your colleagues, it also benefits you. It's actually how we become success partners to one another. Here Dave shares what allyship is and how we can practice it. Before I get to allies, I'd actually like to address white people in general. Just take a moment and take a perspective and consciously count how many times you think about your race before you do some activity. Walk down the street, play tennis, ask a question in a meeting, go get coffee. Anything that you're doing, I want you to just for one week, Count how many times you think about your race when you're doing that. The answer to that question is likely going to be zero or a very, very small number. The answer if you are a person of color is constantly. Right there, we are operating in a place that because we don't have to think about the color of our skin and how it impacts everything that we do, Now, reframe that same week in your mind and at every one of those junctures where you thought to yourself, geez, I'm not thinking about my race. Now, imagine if you had to think about your race every time you had that thought. And you begin to see why there is a gap in understanding of access and how much this plays into everyday society. And so have some empathy. That's the end of the message. Have some empathy for an experience that you do not have to deal with every single day. And if all you do is become more aware that you don't have to be aware, the world will take a huge leap forward. If you are an ally, it means that you've already figured out that there is an imbalance here that is bad for society that is bad for human beings, that is bad for the world that we're going to give our kids. Be vocal. When you're in a meeting, create a safe space. You don't have to run around and point it out every minute, but create a safe space. Hey, I just want to make sure that everybody here has had an opportunity to ask a question or chime in. I know I've been dominating a conversation or this conversation has largely been between these two people. Just for a moment, I'd like to create some space. Does anybody else have anything to contribute? Ask in every situation, is it diverse? Look around in the meetings that you're in. How many women are represented? How many people of color are represented? If there's an imbalance, ask the question. Why? And what should we do about that? Because we are missing an extremely valuable perspective before we make whatever decision that we're going to make. And if you ask those two questions before you make every corporate decision that you're going to make, you'll make better ones, guaranteed. 
Lastly, Dave shares two pieces of advice for business owners. I have two things that I tell entrepreneurs, but before I even get there, it starts with, you don't need any fixing. Women don't need any fixing. People of color don't need any fixing. There's two things. The first is asking for help is a badge of courage. It's not a negative. That is true of every race, every gender, every geography, every category that you can come up with needs to understand that asking for help, it goes back to the old adage, there are no stupid questions except the ones not asked. Asking for help is a badge of courage. It is how you get to move forward faster. The more willing you are to say, there must be a better way. By definition, if you are an entrepreneur, you have asked yourself that question a thousand times. Don't be afraid to ask it of others. That's the biggest gift that I could give to any entrepreneur of any race, color, creed, anything that you can think of. Asking for help is a badge of courage. The second thing that I will give you is, in a one-on-one human level, most people are fundamentally well-intentioned and want to help. It doesn't have to be scary. Being in groups, raising your hand and saying, I don't know something in a room full of a thousand people, a hundred people, or a meeting of 10 is hard and scary. I'm not going to try to change that because that's just fundamental human wiring about why that's a scary transaction. It's much easier to change on a one-to-one level. And so I would say to them, trust in the one-in-one environment. Give somebody a little attitude to help you in a one-on-one. Ask and give it a chance. That's it. I really hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Dave is such a great example of an ally who is really doing the work. For those of you who are keen to learn more about his company and support his business, please visit his website at www.eureka.biz. For those of you who are in the United States, I wish you all a wonderful July 4th break. Before you go, just a quick reminder that you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, at michellepking.com and you can also reach out to me there for interview requests or to be featured on the show. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.